Welcome to the Word Encounter, episode 210, where we will pick things up in the book of John, chapter 6. We've got a lot to cover. Jesus has a lot of interesting and provocative things to say in this episode, so let's get started here. It says, the fourth sign, feeding the 5,000. And we covered this in Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 through 21, in episode 184. So you can go there for the details. But one of the key, uh, the key scriptures here that I pulled from this is that in verse 5 it says, So when Jesus looked up and noticed a huge crowd coming towards him, he asked Philip, Where will we buy bread so that these people can eat? In verse 6, he asked them, or he asked this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. So we see that a lot of times, you know, the Lord is testing us, you know, and sometimes it can be trials and tribulations. Other times, maybe not as drastic as that, but sometimes we get tested uh, to see what we, we will do. Sometimes we get tested with temptation to see what we will do, see how we will respond, you see. And so the Lord is in the business of testing his children to see, and sometimes, you know, I've tested my children you know, to see how they will respond in certain situations, see. So Jesus knew what he was going to do. He was just testing Philip to see what Philip would say. Uh, Let's drop down here. We go down to where it says the fifth sign, walking on water. And we covered this in Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 33 in episode 184. And Matthew includes uh, Peter walking on the water in this account. And John, it doesn't include that part. Um, And so they saw him coming. And one of the, the key scriptures here I pull out of this, they saw Jesus walking on the water towards them. Uh, and he said, it is I. Don't be afraid. See, sometimes we see things. We're not sure of what they are. <laughs> you know, sometimes things happen. And we're not sure what their origin is, you see. And so these, imagine his disciples are seeing him walking on the water and they walking on water. This is ridiculous. Nobody's ever done this. We've never seen this before. So all of the things that could be going through their head with regard to what is this I'm seeing? Jesus says, it is I, don't be afraid. So a lot of times in our own lives, things happen, things take place. And I believe that the Lord is telling us, he's trying to tell us. It is I, don't be afraid. But if we don't, or if we allow our minds to run off into the nether netherland and we can start thinking crazy things, you see, it's because we haven't recognized the power of Jesus. And he said, it is I, don't be afraid. The bread of life. In verse 25, it says, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And so people were witnessing Jesus out in the boat. They came by, they found him. And they say, Rabbi, you know, when did you get here? Jesus answered them. So he, he looked through them. He looked past them. In verse 26, he said, truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, but not because you saw the signs. See, he had, uh, he had fed the 5,000 and whatnot. And so he's telling them, you are looking for me, but not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. In other words, Jesus is saying, you're looking for me because of what I've done for you. See, and you want to you want me to keep doing for you. That's why you're looking for me. Oh, my goodness. If that isn't an appropriate accusation in today's time, I don't know what is. People look for and seek Jesus because of what he can do for them. 
See, they, they, they're, they're looking at him as, a, as, as some kind of a genie in the bottle, if you will. You know, so the genie's in the bottle, rub the bottle, genie comes out, grant you three wishes. And so that's kind of how they view Jesus. You know, want Jesus in my life so he can do for me. So Jesus is seeing straight past them, straight through them. He says, you're not looking for me just for anything. You're looking for me because of what I can do for you here on this earth. See, That's why you're looking for me. You're not looking for me to fulfill what you really need, you know, as far as your spiritual perspective, as far as, you know, the food from heaven. You're looking at me so that I can provide for your needs here on earth. In verse 27, it says, don't work for food that perishes, but work for food that lasts for eternal life. So, uh, substitute the word work for strive, because the, you know, the word isn't saying don't work. You know, the word says very clearly that if you want to eat, you'll work. And so it's not saying don't work. What it's saying is don't strive for the food that perishes, but strive for the food that lasts for eternal life. Strive for the things of the Lord. Strive for the things of God. You know, pursue earnestly and be passionate about that as opposed to striving and being passionate about uh, earthly matters. See, be passionate about the Lord. Strive for that. What's the Son of Man will give you? Because God the Father has sent his seal of approval upon him. And so, you know, Jesus is talking to the people that were asking him, where are you? And so he told him, first of all, that, you know, you're just looking for me because of what I can do for you here on this earth. See, but you need to, he's, he's telling people, but you need to, you need to go for You need to go deep. You need to understand more than this. See, you need to understand that you're striving for things here on earth, but don't do that. Strive for things of the Lord. In other words, get your priorities straight, rearrange your priorities. Remember in Matthew chapter what, 6, verse 33, it says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Then all these things that your God in heaven knows that you need will be added on to you. In verse 28, what can we do? Uh, what can we do? Wait. What can we do to perform the works of God? They asked. Jesus replied, This is the work of God. This is what you can do. You know, they're looking, what can we do? This is what you can do, Jesus says. This is the work of God, that you believe in the one he has sent. See, I think they're looking for something they can do with their hands, something they can perform. or what. Jesus is saying, this is what you can do. What you can do is you can believe. <laughs> that is the work of God, for you to believe in me. That is the work of God. So simple, yet so difficult. Verse 30. What sign then are you going to do so that we may see and believe you? They asked. What are you going to perform? So like some kind of circus act. What are you going to perform for us? But he had already fed them. They, they saw there was no food there and that this food got created out of seemingly thin air. He'd already done this. He had already healed sick people. He already raised, he'd, he'd already raised dead. He'd already done these things. And they're saying, what are you going to do? What more are you going to do, essentially, is what they're saying. Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, just that it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And so 
the people are thinking that their ancestors were fed by manna from God and that that is what this scripture is referring to. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. So he says, you know, our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness just as it is written. And so just as we believe that this was the fulfillment of that. But in verse 32, Jesus says this. Jesus said to them, truly, uh, truly, I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven. Jesus said, truly, I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven. You know, this, what you're thinking is wrong. What you're thinking is not accurate. You think that the bread from heaven uh, that Moses delivered onto the people is the bread from heaven that this, that, this, that this scripture is talking about. You're wrong. He says, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. Uh, verse 33, for the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus is correcting their thinking. For the bread that that scripture is talking about is the bread that's coming from God who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Note it says, who comes down? So obviously it's referring to a person. The bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. In other words, me. That's what Jesus is saying. Verse 34, then they said, sir, give us this bread always. In verse 34, in, uh, in verse 35, it says, I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. Now, I can imagine the people are thinking about food and drink, right? But Jesus isn't talking about food and drink. He says, no one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. He's talking about your fulfillment will be complete. See, there's that little nagging voice inside of all of us. Why am I here? Where did I come from? Where am I going? What's the meaning of life? All these deep kind of questions that people contemplate, sometimes for their entire lives. Jesus is saying, I am the bread of life. Partake of me and your fulfillment will be complete. You will have an understanding of all of this, and it will be a completely satisfying meal. Verse 36, but as I told you, you see me, and yet you do not believe. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me. This is God's will, Jesus is saying that I should lose none of those he has given to me. God's will is that Jesus should lose none of those that God has given to him, but should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and will raise him up on the last day. The will of the Father is that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him, this is the will of the Father, for everybody to see the Son and for everybody to believe in him so that they will be raised on the last day. That is God's will. Verse uh, 42, they were saying, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know, how can he say, I have come down from heaven? So the people are being indignant, right? Or some of the people. I say, wait a minute, we know you. We know where you come from. 
familiarity, you know, <laughs> is the entrance to contempt. You know, the more from, it's like, let's take finances or something like that. Most people will more readily listen to a stranger than they'll listen to their friend. They'll give a stranger more credibility than they'll give their friend. Why? I know this joker. I grew up with him. I know what he knows. I know what he doesn't know. But I'm going to listen to you. They could have just gotten out of prison. <laughs> you don't know. But that's human nature. That's what we do. They were familiar with Jesus. And so because they were familiar with him, they said, how can you come down from heaven? Verse 43, Jesus answered them, stop grumbling among yourselves. Uh, no one com can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. See, and so this, this implies that God, him, God, the father himself places in us these nagging questions and issues that we're drawn to get answers to. See, and so when we get drawn to Jesus, he starts to provide those answers. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has listened uh, to and learned from the father comes to me. Not that everyone has seen the father except the one who is from God. He has seen the father. Truly, I tell you, anyone who believes has eternal life. That is the qualification to believe, period, in the story. See, but if you believe, then certain things, you'll start doing certain things because you believe. And so, for, take for example, uh, if you get on an airplane to go from place A to place B, you believe that that airplane is going to get you from place A to pl place B and you're not going to crash. If you believed that you were going to crash, you wouldn't get on the airplane. See, but, but because you believe it's not going to crash, you get on the airplane. In other words, your belief dictates your behavior. So truly, I tell you, anyone who believes has eternal life. Jesus is saying, if you sincerely believe that I am the son of God, then you have eternal life. That's it. Verse 48. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that anyone may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I give uh, for the life of the world is my flesh. Now he's talking about, I'm going to give myself over. You know, I'm going to die for you. Now they don't understand this. So they're just thinking he's going to give his flesh. And then in verse 42 or 52, at that time, the Jews argued among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So they're thinking about cannibalism, right? <laughs> verse 53. So Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you do not have life in yourself. And so he's to, 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 their, to their grumblings, he said, how can this man tell us, you know, we need to eat his flesh? Jesus kind of doubles down and says, truly, I tell you, not, not only unless you eat my flesh, but also unless you drink my blood. <laughs> so I can imagine that they're like, what? <laughs> you know, verse 54. Uh, the one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day, eating his uh, flesh and drinking his blood. What does that mean? It means believing in him. It means trusting him. It means having faith in him. It means following him. You know, that's what it means. That's what he's talking about. In verse 55, because my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. In other words, my flesh and my blood 
provide real life, sustaining life, yes, in fact, eternal life. Verse 56, the one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. If Jesus is in you, you can only do certain things, certain things you can't do. You won't even have the desire to do. It's not that you're trying to follow any laws or any rules or any, you know, any kind of dictates. It's that you won't even want to in many cases. Verse 57, just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. It is not like the manna your ancestors ate and they died. The one who eats this bread will live forever. It says many, di- <laughs> many, disciples. many disciples desert Jesus. Yes, disciples deserted Jesus. Verse 60. Therefore, when many of his disciples heard this, they said, This teaching is hard. Who can accept it? Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, asked them, does this offend you? Then what if you were to observe the Son of Man uh, ascending to where he was before? The Spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh doesn't help at all. The Spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh is not profitable at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. But there are some among you who don't believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning those who did not believe and the one who would betray him. So he's just he's just telling them what what they may not know, but he's telling them what he already knows. They may not know this about each other, but internally they know where they are. Verse 65, he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by my father. Sometimes I struggle with this scripture. So does that mean that there's certain people who just can never come to Jesus because they haven't been granted to him by Father God? I don't think that's what that means. I think what it means is, he says, uh, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by my Father. That if one has a sincere desire to know, and to understand the things of God, then God will respond to their desire and grant them to Jesus. It's still their decision. Verse 66, from that moment, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. They fell off the map. (laughs) So Jesus said to the 12, you don't want to go away too, do you? Simon Peter's response is so revealing. Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. A lot of times people, you know, they get disgruntled with the church and and whatnot. And the question is, to whom will you go? To whom will, will you turn? We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus replied to them, didn't I choose you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. <laughs> he's talking about Jesus and Judas. <laughs> so he's he's constantly revealing things to them that will come, you know, become clear to them later on. Chapter seven: the unbelief of Jesus's brothers. This is our natural brothers. After this, Jesus traveled to Galilee, since he did not want to travel to uh, did not want to travel in Judea because the Jews were trying to kill him. 
the Jewish festival of shelters was near. So his brother said to him, leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples can see your works that you were doing. And so his brothers wanted people to see him do things so that they would believe in him because they were believing that uh, through celebrity, you know, through, through renown and through recognition that people would believe. In verse 6, Jesus told them, My time has not yet arrived, but your time is always at hand. The world cannot hate you, but it does hate me, because I testify about it that its works are evil. <laughs> so the world hates Jesus because he reveals the world to itself. He show, it's like a mirror. He shows the world what, what it really is. You're evil. That's why they hate Jesus, and that's why they will hate us. They will hate those of us who follow Jesus because we reveal the world to itself. And the world does not want to see it. Or at least that's what we should be doing. Jesus at the festival of shelters in verse 10. After his brothers had gone up to the festival, then he also went up, not openly, but secretly. The Jews were looking for him at the festival saying, where is he? And there, um, and there was a lot of murmuring about him among the crowd. Some were saying he's a good man. Others were saying, no, on the contrary, he's deceiving the people. When the festival was already half over, Jesus went up to the temple and began to teach. Then the Jews were amazed. Then the Jews were amazed and said, how is this man so learned since he hasn't been trained? And so they're essentially saying, look, he hasn't been through our schools. He hasn't been certified by us. He hasn't been degreed by us. He hasn't been ordained by us. How can he be so learned? You know, we haven't approved him. Jesus answered them, my teaching isn't mine, but it's from the one who sent me. He says, you don't have anything to do with this, but you don't understand this yet. If anyone wants to do his will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own. In verse 18, the one who speaks on his own seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true. And there is no unrighteousness in him. Let me read that again. The one who speaks on his own seeks his own glory. The one who speaks his own opinion, the one who does, who does it, whose opinion isn't grounded in the word, who is just going off the cuff by their experience, they seek their own glory. But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true. Those who are promoting the things of God for the sake of the kingdom of God, they are true. There's no unrighteousness in them. Didn't Moses give you the law, yet none of you keeps the law? Why are you trying to kill me? That's a good question. You have a demon, the crowd responded. Who is trying to kill you? I perform one work, and you are all amazed, Jesus answered. This is why Moses has given you circumcision. Circumcision. Uh, not that it comes from Mo Moses, but from the fathers. Uh, and you, and you circumcise, <laughs> and you cir come on, Mike, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses won't be broken, are you angry at me because I made a man entirely well on the Sabbath? Now, this is a good question. Jesus is saying, look, you circumcise babies. If the, if the eighth day falls on the Sabbath, when the babies are to be, the male babies are to be circumcised, you circumcise them. Yet you want to kill and harm me because I heal a man on the Sabbath. And so he's calling them hypocrites, you know. And so in verse 24, he says, stop judging according to outward appearances, whether judge according to righteous judgment. Now, this is interesting. 
Jesus isn't saying don't judge here. He's saying change the standard of judgment. He's, say, he's saying stop judging according to outward appearances, according to how things look. Stop judging. Rather, judge according to righteous judgment. The identity of the Messiah. Some of the people of Jerusalem were saying, isn't this man uh, the man they are trying to kill? Yet, look, he's speaking publicly and they're saying nothing to him. Can it be true that the authorities know he is the Messiah? So the people keep talking back and forth to each other because they're witnessing things that don't make any sense to them. Then Jesus said, I am only with you for a short time Then I am going to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. Then the Jews said to one another, where does he intend to go that we won't find him? He doesn't intend to go to the Jewish people dispersed among the Greeks and teach the Greeks, does he? See, that, that everything they're thinking is earthly, is on this earth. And that's the disconnect between Jesus and the people, even his disciples. Jesus is speaking to heavenly things, supernatural things in some cases, and they're just thinking about things here on earth, which if I were them, I would have done the same thing, exact same thing. The promise of the Spirit. On the last and most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, uh, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. And so, again, Jesus is making a plea. If you want to live, come to me. The people are divided over Jesus. In verse 40, when some of the crowd heard these words, they said, this truly is the prophet. Others said, this is the Messiah. But some said, uh, surely the Messiah doesn't come from Galilee, does he? So people are just confused. They're talking amongst themselves, trying to figure things out. They're just confused. They don't know who is this Jesus person. And then they had a debate over Jesus's claims. <clears throat> when the servants came to the chief priests and Pharisees who asked them, why didn't you bring him? Why didn't you bring his Jesus? The servants answered, no man has ever spoken like this. Then the Pharisees responded to them, are you fooled too? Have any of the rulers or Pharisees believed in him? Actually, yes, they had. But verse 49, but this crowd, which doesn't know the law, is accursed. In other words, what the Pharisees are saying, but this crowd, this crowd is stupid and ignorant. They're not like us because we're learned. We, we know the scriptures. We know what's happening. But because this crowd is ignorant and stupid, they're cursed. In verse 50, Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee, the one who came to him previously. So Nicodemus had gone and he had spoken with Jesus. Nicodemus, the one who came to him previously and who was one of them, one of the Pharisees, said to them, our law, our law doesn't judge a man before he hears from him. You know, our, our law doesn't judge somebody before he's had a chance to testify. Our law doesn't judge a man before he hears from him and knows what he's doing, does it? So Nicodemus is rightfully questioning his brother Pharisees. But they respond to him, aren't you from Galilee too? Investigate and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. And so essentially what they're saying, Nicodemus, you're just defending this guy because he's a brother from Galilee like you. And so you're, what you're saying is irrelevant because you have a vested interest in this man because he's from the same town that you're from. So they just kind of negate Nicodemus. Nicodemus. 
And so we see a lot of human nature being revealed here in the people and the Pharisees and the scribes and Sadducees, you know, the, the things that people today would do in the exact same way. They do the exact same thing in the exact same way. You know, so we see that human nature hasn't changed. Technology has changed over the years, but human nature does not change. And human nature is the thing that the Word of God is trying to correct in us. Because instead of human nature, he wants us to have a godly nature. And with that, we are done for today. And as Jesus has already spoken, all that's required for you to acquire eternal life is to believe. That's what he's asking. Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And you will have access to eternal life. It's as simple as that, yet it can be extremely difficult. With that, we are done. Everybody take care. Be blessed. Stay safe. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. And we will hit up episode 201 tomorrow. Bye-bye.